Today I'll be speaking about Psalm 139. Uh, psalm 139 is a psalm of David. And many, many Jewish scholars view this as David's best psalm. Uh, this, this, this psalm is a, is a very challenging psalm because it gets down into the core of our being and who we are and why we are what we are and also how God, God looks at us. Uh, it's, it's just foundational just to, to order our life, to, to build ourselves on a foundation that's, that, that's built on truth and built on re, the reality of, of who God is and what he's done. God created us to worship him. This psalm is about creating in us a heart of true worship. Worship of our ever-present and all-knowing God. To worship God as he desires, it requires intimacy. We aren't to think of God as someone that's far off in heaven, but he's, he's very near. He's very near. In this life, we often feel alone. In spite of constant interaction by text or phone or Zoom, email, etc., we, are often, we often feel alone. We lack intimacy. Sometimes we lack intimacy with the people around us, or even our spouse sometimes. Someone that, and also someone that knows us intimately and cares for us is a rare commodity. It's a rare thing. There's a lot of surface talk and a lot of surface interaction. But, it, but is there a real intimacy? Even if we have a close friend or spouse that we're very intimate with, they can only get so close to us even. The Bible says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This psalm speaks of God's intimate knowledge of us and his care for us. He knows far more about us than we can ever know about ourselves even. So no matter how much self-introspection you do, how many counselors you talk to, no one is ever going to figure you out like God knows you. Uh, let's, let's turn in our, in, to Psalm 139, verse 1. I'm going I'm to pray and we'll get started. Father, we, we are wholly dependent on you. God, I pray that you will reveal to our hearts this truth, this reality, because even if we aren't aware of this, God, you intimately know us and love us and care for us. I ask God that you would make that real to our hearts this morning. God, help me to bring this out. Uh, Lord, I, I am very challenged by this myself. God, we, we just look to you to reveal yourself to us and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 starts with, you have searched me and known me. The implication of this is like, 
Maybe the police breaking into, you know, coming in and searching you, searching your whole house looking for something illegal. Or maybe you're, you're searching your house looking for something you've lost. You turn everything over looking for this thing you've lost. It's very thorough. God, you have searched me and known me. David speaks of that because he's, he's experienced that. He, he's acknowledging that. God, you've searched me. You've known me. Think of all the things David's been through in his life. I'm not sure what point in his life he writes this psalm, but all through the psalms, he's in a cave. He's being chased by people. He's had lots of time under pressure to think about things and to, and to get his life in order. God's had lots of... I, I know when I'm under stress, I think God actually shines a light a little brighter on, on me. It, it, causes, it forces me to press, press in more. And, and, and God has done that in David's life. Verse 2 says, You know when I sit down and rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. He knows what we're doing at all times. Even our thoughts are perceived by him. And this is something, if you've been in church a while, you know this. In, up here. But do we live that way? He knows what we're thinking. He knows our motives. Verse 3 says, You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. He directs and knows our path and knows what we like to do. He knows what we're about. I mean... They like to, they like to, you know, Santa Claus. They like to put Santa Claus kind of in this position, but it's God that knows everything about us. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knew what I was going to say this morning before I've said it. That's a hard thing to think about. He knows. He knows what we, we're thinking of saying, even when we don't say it. I mean, that's a God that's, well, if you, if, if you don't think of him a God of love, that's kind of, that's scary. I mean, we think a lot of thoughts we probably shouldn't think. But it's still better if we don't say them. <laughs> He knows those things. Verse 5 says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. He doesn't just know everything about us and, and that's it. It says he hems us in behind and before. He's in front of you. He's in back. And most importantly, his hand is on top of you. He's keeping you safe. He's keeping you in, in his care. You're, you are safe, even though sometimes you, in life things happen and you think that things are out of control. They just don't make sense or just sudden 
calamities happen. It says his hand, he's hemmed us in and he's placed his hand upon our head. We should take great comfort in that. And David has realized that. He's been through the fire. Like I said before, he's been chased by Saul. I mean, I don't know if any of you have ever been chased by anybody trying to kill you. I have. I don't think I have. If I, if I have been, I wasn't aware of it. How's that? But this man was hounded like a criminal. He had hundreds of men looking for him. And he was hiding in caves and run, on the run all the time. He learned that God was still there and still protecting him. And it doesn't matter what we're, what we're going through. His hand is on top of us. His hand is upon us. Such knowledge, in verse 6 says, is too wonderful me, for, for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. When David thinks about this, it blows his mind. It's overwhelming. But he has taken time to think about it. And I think some of, some of, the, some of our problems today is our busyness. I think... We get so busy with getting things done or entertaining ourselves or chasing, you know, and not all the things are bad. There's just, there's the things that are far better. We don't take time to meditate on God's word. We don't t- take time to think about, to remember what God's done for us in the past. David says he has to sit back and think and say, this is too wonderful for me to even comprehend how God can know me inside and out and how he's covered me. He's he's covering me, he's protecting me. We don't need a new revelation. We we just need to remember what he's done and what, what, what he has here. We need to let him speak. What we need to do is let him speak to our hearts afresh and anew about what he's already said and done. Because he's going to continue the same pattern. He's the same God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's tried, David has tried, he's spent time thinking about it. He's, he's tried to get it. He's tried to understand this, and he just says, you know what? I can't. And what's our response? What's our response when we can't, it's, it's so big, we can't get it. What that should do in our hearts, and we should say, how great thou art. Yes. O Lord my God, how great thou art. How great you are, God. That should make our hearts go, God, this is so big. All I can do is, say, is thank you and praise you for, for this. That should be our expression. And what is worship really about? We're worshiping a God that is far greater than we are. We're not worshiping, we don't worship something that's equal to us or below us. We worship something that is so far beyond us. He's worthy of, of the worship. He's worship, worthy of all worship that we can give. We worship a God that knows all. 
a God that knows the past, the present, and the future. He has always been, and he will always be. That makes my mind, I'm not an artistic person. I can't comprehend that. But it is the truth. We need to live in that wonder. You know, we, we sing some songs in church. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the wonders of His grace. That's what Mr. Wesley was thinking about. He was in awe and wonder of God, and he knew that he could not express with just one tongue the glory that is due God and how great he is and how wonderful he is. He wanted a thousand tongues to sing. Verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? It's not about where we are. Because God is, is with us wherever we're at. Whether we're in the depths of sorrow, whether everything seems to be going great, we can't flee from that. Verses 8 through 12 says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. you go to heaven he's there if you go to your grave Sheol he's there you go to the furthest parts of the earth wherever you go you, he's there if you, if you think what's going on in your life is so dark that he can't be there he's there too It's, it's, to him, it's all light around you. Nothing is, you know, whatever you're going through, he's there. Even if you're trying to hide from God, he's there. Hiding from God if you're, is like a small child who covers their eyes and says, I can't see if I can't see you, you can't see me. Just quit running. Quit hiding. He sees you. That's, that's, just come. He loves you. Just come. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account.
you know, we, you know how we, we like to hide things. We hide things from each other. We hide things maybe from the government. <laughs> we hide things from the police. We hide things from, you know, we're shamed. Just bring them to God. They're all open to him anyway. Psalm 145, 18 and 19 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save him. Verse, verse 13 goes and says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. David realizes that his parents were only a part of that picture, of his conception, his birth. He says, you formed me in my, in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Why are we here today? People always, like, when you're lost, why am I here? Well, it starts with God created you. God allowed you to be born. He allowed you to be a baby and grow and come to this day. We are all made in his image. And that's a very, that's a very intimate thing. He's, he was inv intimately involved in your life even before you knew he was when you were in the womb. He was involved. We aren't disconnected. We disconnect ourselves. Now, uh, this, is, this, is, um, this is just a side note. These verses here reveal why abortion is such a terrible thing. People made in the image of God, willfully murdered, it's, it's a terrible and unjustified stain upon the whole world, including our country. This is God's beautiful creation being destroyed. And we justify it. He knitted, he, he created us. Verse 14 says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Again, David has taken the time to think about these things. We're fearfully made. It's, it's an awesome thing. It should make you tremble. He says we're fearfully made, these bodies of ours, and also these souls of ours. How he made us come, how we came to be. Every person is important. Every person God made for a purpose and a reason, for his own purpose and glory. Sometimes we're, we're spending all the time trying to figure out what our purpose is, and we need to ask God what his purpose is for us. 
wonderfully made. It's something you should not just be, be reverently amazed on. It's something, it's a wonderful thing. You look at babies. It's, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I've got a new grandchild, and he is beautifully, wonderfully made. Watching him grow, holding him, just being amazed. It's a wonderful thing. A friend of ours has a, has a child that was born at 24 weeks. And just seeing that, that child is, God is blessing that child. That child is doing well. But even seeing that child, who's, I think he's, he's probably closer to 27 weeks now, it is, a, it is a beautiful and wonderful thing that God has done. And we need to think about these things. Instead of worrying about all the other things we think about. We need to think about the things that the Word tells us we should think about. Verse 15 and 16 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. God knew you before you were born. And he also knows your future. Think about that. Instead of worrying about how you're going to pay the bills, think about that. Because he'll take care of the other. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. This part is just as important as the other part. If we were just left with, wow, God knows everything about me. He sees everything. I do a lot of bad things. I think a lot of bad things. If we were just left with that, and this, this powerful God made me, if you're just left with that, it wouldn't be complete. It's, David says, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I mean, you, you feel good when somebody texts you, emails you, calls you, says, you know what? I've been thinking about you, I've been praying for you. Uh, just, you know, if you need anything, you know, I love you. That, that makes you feel good, doesn't it? It does. It encourages you. This says that God, his thoughts toward David are precious. So God isn't up in heaven going, yeah, I saw, you know, I saw that thought that, you, that he just had. <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm not too happy about that. What is, what is God thinking about us? If David calls him precious, that's aren't the, those aren't the things he's thinking about us. We often may think that God is only focused on our sins and our failures. 
Or maybe he's not thinking of us at all. David understood that God's thoughts toward him were precious and vast. His thoughts were along that vein. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's thoughts towards his children are of mercy, grace, and love. He that spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? That's really important that we understand that. I mean, he ultimately demonstrated that. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew we were in sin, and he came and died for us. That's, he's demonstrated his love towards us. And, 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 and if, he's, he, if he would do that, he certainly is thinking thoughts of mercy and grace and forgiveness and goodness towards us that know him. He's, he, why else would he be conforming us to the image of Christ? And that process sometimes is hard. But that's his plan for you. It's, the, it's mercy, grace, goodness. So David thought about that too. So David's doing a lot of thinking here. He's thinking about what God thinks of him. Verse 18. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. They're not just a few passing thoughts. David says they're like the sand along the seashore. You can't count that. How is that possible? A God that knows every individual this way. He's so amazing. He loves us and he's always thinking about us. That's amazing. That is amazing. We love him because he first loved us. He loved us first. And our, 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 our love, as limited as it is, is reciprocal. We love him because he loved us first. David, said, he wakes, it's like he's waking up in the morning here from a, maybe he's from a dream or he's just sitting there thinking and he's lost in his thoughts. And he says, I awake and I am still with you. His mercies are new every morning. If you're like a lot of us, you get up in the morning and sometimes you don't feel the best. His mercies are new every morning. He's with us even when we wake up in the morning and haven't had coffee. 
or haven't, haven't fully gotten awake. He's with us. And David appreciates that. When I awake, I'm still with you. Now verse 19, it seems like a hard right turn here. It's like, it's like he woke up from a dream and his house was on fire. Or he, he woke up, he was, he was sleeping, having a beautiful dream and woke up in a horrible place. He suddenly says, just, it just seems like abruptly, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. I think a lot of this has to do with you've been in God's presence. You're realizing how good he is. You're realizing how much he's done and how much he loves you and just how he created you. Uh, and you owe everything to him. And then you see, you go out and you see what goes, what's going on outside. How, how the wickedness that's going on. And David exclaims, Oh God, that you would slay the wicked. It becomes, it becomes a lot more justifiable in our hearts when we realize what, who God is and what he's done. When, we reje- when people reject everything he's done, they're rejecting their creator they're rejecting a God that would die for them. He would come from heaven and die. He would, he, God spared not his own son, it says, but freely gave him up for us all. That's why the contrast. The men David was talking about aren't probably people over in Babylonia or in, he's probably not talking about the Philistines. He's talking about his own people, the Israelites. So these Israelites, he goes out, in spite of all that God has done and who he is, unfortunately, most people end up rejecting his mercy. That's, that's the frightening thing about our condition most people choose to reject what God has done and, ch- and choose to re- reject the reality of, wo- of their own creation even. We ought to have outrage over sin and also the rejection of God's mercy because God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Because God himself is outraged after he's done everything that people would still reject him. If you, if you remember some parables where the, where the king has a feast and, and he sends out his servants. He's, he's prepared this great feast. Awesome feast. And he's sent, he sends out his servants to invite people and they all say, oh, I'm busy. You know, I'm, I got some... I got some work to do. I, I, I can't make it. And, and they come back, and he's like, where is everybody? 
They didn't, they didn't want to come. So he, he keeps sending his servants out to other people. And finally, the people that end up showing up are like the, the homeless people and the poor people. They end up filling his, this feast because he says those who were bidden were not worthy. But see, in, in that parable, he says God, the king was angry that these people didn't come. So he just kept, and if, if we wonder why God is still filling up heaven right now, we wonder why we're still here. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Now David concludes. He says, after saying, Do not I hate those who hate you, O Lord. Do not I loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Then David looks at his own heart again. And this should be the cry of our hearts as I close today. It says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. David concludes himself after expressing outrage at what's going on by looking at his own self. He realizes, you know what? But for the grace of God, I would, be, I would be doing the same things. So he asks, and this is something we need to do, we need to humble ourselves and ask God to search us. We need to humble ourselves and ask God to try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We serve a God that, that, that knows every, every part of us. We serve a God that created us in our mother's womb. Our parents were only a part, of, a part of that equation. We serve a God who hems us in and covers us with his hand. We serve a God that loves us and is thinking about us in ways that are for our good. What a mighty God we have. And he says, behold, and a God that we're never alone. Even if we feel alone, we aren't. He says, behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's not going to let us go. He, we're kept by him. Let's pray.